And we want to pick up with the next two verses from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. And we're going to be looking this afternoon at verses 15 and 16, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. The writer had been speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said earlier that we should go to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. And now he says in verse 15, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So far in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning at verse 9, the writer has been applying images he draws from the old covenant tabernacle to Christ in whom these images are fulfilled. The sacrificial food he cites in verse 9, the altar in verse 10, the slain sacrificial animals burnt outside the camp, verse 11. And here, in verses 15 and 16, he calls attention to the continuing relevance of sacrifices under the new covenant, but not the sacrifice of bulls and of goats. Under the new covenant, he suggests that believers in Christ offer sacrifices of a different kind. In fact, we know at least one of them in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where we are called to offer the sacrifice of ourselves. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Paul says, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And the sacrifices, the specific sacrifices that the writer here in the book of Hebrews 15 and 16 has in view, these are addressed as follows. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Again, it's as though the writer is saying to his readers that while they no longer offer to God animal sacrifices, which were required under the Old Covenant, yet there are certain sacrifices under the New Covenant which, as believers in Christ, they are obliged to offer. And the question this afternoon we want to answer is, what are these sacrifices you and I as Christians are to offer to God? We could entitle this study, the Christian sacrifices to God. The Christian sacrifices to God. Well, what are these sacrifices? Number one, we're to offer to God the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise. Look at verse 15. He says there in verse 15, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And there are these six things we observe from this verse concerning the sacrifice we are to offer to God. Number one, we see in this exhortation the channel of our praise, the channel of our praise. That is to say, the agent through which you and I as Christians are to offer up 
the sacrifice of praise. Note the phrase, through him, through him. And the pronoun him, of course, refers to Christ. It is through him that we are to offer praise to God, and rightly so, because he is our bona fide high priest and mediator. He is the one through whom we draw near to God. Says Jesus himself in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, the writer of Hebrews says this, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The point is this, that just as you and I are saved and are sanctified through Christ, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, so we worship and praise God through him. He is the only way, the only channel through which God will accept worship from you and me. That is why 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5 declares this, we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes you'll hear in the government, they'll talk about back channel. And back channel basically is some secondary source, oftentimes an unelected, unofficial, but that person is sort of appointed to act as a back channel to another government. And the fact is, listen, when it comes to the matter of our worshiping God or praising God, you and I have First of all, no unlimited access, unmediated access to God. We do not have some kind of unmediated access to God. We have to go through a channel. We have to go through the Lord Jesus. And neither do we go through some back channel other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We go through him. We go through not not through Mary, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. We go not through angels, but we go through Christ. So first of all, we offer praise and worship to God through him, the channel of our praise. But secondly, we see in this exhortation the collective duty to praise. The collective duty to praise. And this is expressed in the hortative call, let us. The epistle to the Hebrews has been quippingly called the lettuce patch of the New Testament. And it's interesting that as many as 13 times in the epistle, the author uses this expression, let us. He's calling his readers to do this, that, and the other. For example, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confidence of our hope without wavering. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir up and one another to love and good works. And in this final instance, the call, let us, is a summons to praise God. And here we are reminded that whereas our private worship to God, our praise to God is of importance to the Lord, of equal importance is this matter of our corporate praise, of our joining hearts and hands with other believers in Christ in glorifying God. Psalm 107 verse 32 calls attention to the need for public praise of God because the psalmist says there, let them extol him 
in the congregation of the people and praise them in the assembly of the elders. The psalmist vows in Psalm 22, verses 22 and 25, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. From you, he says, verse 25, comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. Yes, there's a place for private praise of God, for private worship of God, but God will be praised and God delights to be praised in the assembly of his people. And this is one of the sacrifices he tells us that he delights in. And you and I have to ask the question, how much of a premium do we place on praising God? How much do we place, how much of a premium do we place on corporate praise and worship of God? Is our heart set on praising God? Is our heart set on adoring him, praising him when we come together for worship? Someone has noted that the problem is that when we come to church, we come to church, but we do not come to worship. He says, when we, co we come into the same building, but we do not come together. And, uh, you know, this is an element that if we're not careful, even... As Reformed brethren, as Reformed Christians, we, 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 we tend to lose sight of it. Word of God calls us the importance of praising publicly. We're not just talking about uh, just, you know, opening our hymn book, singing. He says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Of course, we do that in song, but we are to enthusiastically praise God. We ought to do so fervently. Thirdly, we see in our text what is to be the continuity of our praise, the continuity of our praise. We're called, notice the text says, to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. And what this in effect means is that never is there an occasion when we can legitimately take time off from praising God. We are never off-season when it comes to this matter of praising God. We are, says the writer of Hebrews, we are to be continually offering up a sacrifice of praise. And why do we do that? Why should we do that? We should do that because God is ever worthy of praise. God is ever worthy of praise. All our waking moments, we're obliged to praise him simply because of who he is, simply because his nature, his character is of such that we cannot but praise him. And it's interesting that whereas the Levitical sacrifices were to be offered at set times, under the new covenant, the sacrifice of praise is to be offered how often? Continually. The point is, at all times, in all seasons, in all situations, under all circumstances, morning, noon, and night, whether or not the timing is convenient, whether or not we feel like it, we are to praise God. We are to praise him. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 34, verse 1. He says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised, says Psalm 113 and verse 3. We are to be ever praising God. And I tell you this, it's so easy for us, isn't it? 
Our default position, if we're not very careful, is to be what? Always finding fault, always murmuring. Things are not going right. But here's the point. As Christians, we are called to be ever praising him. We're to be be ever praising him. But we see fourthly in our text, what is to be the character of our praise, the character of our praise. And in terms of the character of our praise, first of all, according to our text, our praise is to be an offering to God. You see, in praising God, we are offering to him a verbal token of what? We are offering to him a verbal token of our affection for him, of our appreciation of him, and of our adoration of him. Our appreciation for him, our affection for him, our appreciation of him, and our adoration of him. That's what we do in praising God. Second, according to a text, our praise to God is to be a sacrifice. It is to be a sacrifice. The word sacrifice suggests that which is costly. It suggests that which is painful. It suggests that which costs us. Time, effort, energy, which tells us that praising God is not a matter of our doing so when we're in the mood. It's not a matter of praising God when everything is going right, when we feel happy, and we say, well, I feel like praising the Lord. You know, people say, I feel like praising the Lord. Well, what happens when you don't feel like praising the Lord? And there are times when we do not feel like praising the Lord, if we are honest. Especially if we are going through testings, trials, where we can see no way out, where everything looks dark, where everything seems to be falling apart. It is difficult in those times to praise God. And yet, the Word of God tells us we should praise Him, and we are to praise Him. We are to go outside of our feelings and praise Him, which makes it a sacrifice. It costs us what? It costs us our feelings. Against our natural feelings, against our natural tendencies, we praise him nonetheless. Who are we reminded of here? Job. Job. Job lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost his family. He lost, for all intents and purposes, his own wife because she, instead of encouraging him, instead of standing by him, she says, well, why don't you take your leave of God and just die? And we are told that when Job got all of those news, bad news after bad news, the word of God says, then Job rose up, he worshipped God, he says, naked I came forth, naked I returned, the Lord gave, the Lord take, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what it means to praise God as a matter of sacrifice. And it was precisely in bitter, troubling times when they were being hated by their fellow Jews, times when their belongings were being confiscated and some of them were being thrown in prison for the name of Christ, and yes, times when their fellow believers were being martyred that these Jewish Christians were exhorted to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. For them, such praise to God was undoubtedly at a great cost. It was a sacrifice. 
And yes, it's easy for us to say that, but the question is how much does our praise and worship of God cost us? Or does it? Many people will say, well, I don't feel like coming to church today because, you know, I just, I'm just not up to it. I'm not in the mood. I just want to just stay by myself. I just want to have a pity party. And then the question is, when we do come to church and when we do venture to engage in public worship, the question is, do we put our all into it? Just how much of a sacrifice is this matter of your praising God, of my praising God? I put myself in that question as well. The question is, can we, like the psalmist, who in Psalm 103, with enthusiasm, with passion, he declared, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Can we say that I give my all to him in praise? And then fifthly, we find in this exhortation the center of our praise. The center of our praise, our sacrifice of praise, must be rendered to none other but God. All that we do in the name of worship, singing, praising, giving, listening to the word of God, reading the word of God, must be about him and for him. Worship is never to be about us. People say, well, I don't like the worship. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? What was the worship today? I don't really like the worship. The songs were this and the songs were that. The songs were dry. The songs were boring. Well, the question is, the songs are for whom? Is worship dependent on how we feel, how it makes us feel? Is worship about our comfort? Is worship about our convenience? Or is worship about the glory of God? And don't get me wrong, some places can be boring. That's the truth. <laughs> uh, we endeavor to lift up the name of the Lord. We desire to honor him in our worship, not be drab, not be boring, not be passionless. We are to put our hearts into worshiping God. It's all about him. He is to be the center of our praise. And why so? Because of who he is and what he has done. He is to be glorified, Psalm 86 verse 10, because he alone is God. Psalm 72 verse 18, he is to be praised because he alone does wondrous things. Indeed, he accomplished for us a perfect, complete, eternal salvation. That is why 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we're told that God's saving purpose for us is this, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. According to Psalm 148, verse 13, he's to be praised because his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth. And heaven. Something tells me my numbering is not right, so if I give you a wrong number, you would have known whether or not I'm right. I have sixthly, it probably might be seventhly. We find in this exhortation here in verse 15. In this exhortation, we see what is to be the content of our praise, the content of our praise. 
And what is the content of our praise? Verse 15, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Or more literally in the Greek, the fruit of lips confessing his name. The question is, how do we confess his name in a praiseful fashion? We do so by adoring him with what we say to him in worship. We do so by adoring him with what we say to him in worship. And we do so by acknowledging him with what we say to others by way of witness. In praise to him, we confess him. We acknowledge him in all our ways, in all our plans, in all our pursuits. The sacrifice of praise is the fruit of our lips. It's what we say about him. It's what we say to him. It is what we say for him. And suggested here is that praise is the product of the seed of the word of God in our hearts, which tells us this, that if the word of God is not in our hearts and minds, we are not in a position to truly praise God. It is the fruit of our lips which suggests that there is some seed from which the fruit derives. And that seed is the seed of the word of God that is in our hearts. You say, how do you know that? Colossians 3 verse 16, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul links there the word of God, the internal seed of the word of God, which is to dwell in us richly as the, the spring, the inspiration that which informs our praise to God. So first of all, we offer to God sacrifice of praise. And then finally this afternoon, we're to offer the sacrifice of our purse, that is to say of our possessions in ministering to others. We are to offer the sacrifice of praise to God and we are to offer the sacrifice of our purse, of our possessions, in ministering to others. Look at verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The Greek word that translates the phrase, to do good, occurs once in the New Testament. And interestingly, it's not a verb, it is a noun. It is a noun, which literally means well-doing. So what the writer is saying literally here is this, do not neglect well-doing. Do not neglect well-doing. And this exhortation may entail not just doing good to others, but may involve doing something well, whether or not it's for someone or to someone such well-doing would entail doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and walking heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Colossians 3, 17 and 23. If we want to know what it is to do well, if we want to know what it is to excel in well-doing, Colossians 3, 17, everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians 3, 23, working heartily for the Lord and not for man. As for the Lord and not for man. I suggest, however, that in the light of earlier statements the writer of Hebrews makes, for example, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, 
as well as Hebrews 13, verse 2, which dealt with the issue of ministering to the saints and showing hospitality to strangers, it seems more likely that the reference here in Hebrews 13, 15 concerns sharing what one has with others, ministering to their needs. You say, why can we say that? Because this is supported by the follow-up instruction, again in verse 16, and to share what you have. So notice he links doing good with sharing what you have, which evidently serves to explain what he means by doing good. This sharing of one's resources in ministry to others, in the service of others, is what Romans chapter 12 and verse 13 speaks of as contributing to the needs of others. It is what Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 describes as sharing with anyone in need and what Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 characterizes as doing good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. And such sacrifices, the writer is saying here, are pleasing to God. They are pleasing to God. There are sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Why? Because according to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, whenever we serve others in whatever we do for others, in ministering to others, in alleviating their needs, especially when it comes to the people of God, the word of God says this, we show our love for his name. We show our love for God. We show how much we love him. We prove our love for him. Interestingly, that word share is from the Greek root word koinonia, which means, often translated, fellowship. Basically, the word means common. It speaks of also of fellowship. And certainly, one, things, one thing you and I should do as Christians is to fellowship with one another, is to share with one another the joys, the blessings we have derived from God. We also share what? Burdens, needs. And this is pleasing, the writer says, to God. When we do all things well, and when we share of our possessions, when we share of our goods with others, with one another, God is well pleased. God accepts these as tokens of love for him, of praise to him. They are part and parcel of that service that God deems acceptable. If you notice in the preceding chapter, chapter 12, verse 28, where he says, let us serve God with reverence. Let us serve God with... Let's read the verse. He says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. Same Greek root word, pleasing, acceptable. With reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So really, what the, word, what the author is doing here in Hebrews 13, 14, 15 and 16, is really to elaborate on this acceptable worship he spoke of at the end of chapter 12. That which is pleasing to God, number one, is our sacrifice of praise. And that which is pleasing to God, number two, is the sacrifice of our possessions, of our purse, of our belongings. Of course, keep in mind, as we said this morning, that everything we do, in terms of our approach to God, in terms of our service to God, 
has to be through Christ. Apart from him, all our service is meaningless, is useless. May God bless these words to our hearts for his name's sake. Amen.